name is Oscar Guzman. I am a junior at Rana College Prep. And today I will be speaking to you on delighting in the law. How when we are consumed in the Word of God, we will be strengthened. If you could please bow your heads with me right now as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for everything you've given us. Another day of living, another day to be here with you, God. I just pray that you help us today. Uh, Just not us, not us, uh, like that you would use us as just vessels to get your word out and just that we may glorify you but we love you and thank you since name amen so if you would please open up your bibles with me and open up to psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, as we see in the first two verses, we see the righteous man. We see uh, this idea of the righteous man. We see how he, he tends to stay away from those who uh, are wicked, those who are sinners, those who are mockers. And what's interesting about those uh, that first verse is this idea of walks, stands, and sits. Those three verbs can be taken very interestingly. So picture this. You, you and your friend are walking. You, you, well, you're not even friends yet. You're just barely getting to know each other. You're walking around, getting to know each other. Next thing you know, you see this idea of standing. You're standing right by somebody. Now at this point, you're already, you're, you're friends, you're like not besties or anything, not yet, um, but you're just standing around, relaxing, then you get to this idea of sitting. Now when you get to sitting, uh, you see, uh, what do you do when you normally sit? Watch TV, play video games, eat with people around you, people who are close to you. Now those two people when they sit together, that could be a representation of them having an actual bond. You see this idea of being like two peas in a pot. Now, God's not saying that's a bad thing. God's just saying, as a righteous person, you don't do that kind of stuff with the wicked. You don't tend to like get sucked into the ideas that they have. You, when you sit with somebody, you're sitting in God's law. When you're walking, you're walking for, in, you're walking in God. 
when you're standing, you're standing up for Christ's belief, for the belief of God. When you're sitting, it, and the sitting is in the second verse is pretty good too because it says he delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on this day and night. When you're sitting down, you could be reading your Bible, you could be praying with God. That's the kind of connection that a righteous man has. You see this idea of delighting in his law because he wants he wants to have that connection with God. He delights in his law because he prays day and night. He has this consistency with it. He continues on in verse 3 and 4. He says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff in the, that the wind drives away. Now, verse 3 and 4 are metaphors. They're metaphors for two types of people. You see, the, in verse 3, God says, a tree. Now, what do you think of when you think of a tree? You don't think of a little flower, little stem, little petals around it. No. You think of a strong tree. It has, it's stable. It's sturdy. It has roots embedded in the earth. It's strong. It, when the wind comes, I mean, sure, the leaves fly off, but like the, the actual tree stands firm. Now, when you think of chaff, chaff is like the husk of corn. Um, and normally, the husk of corn has some... Uh, chaff is like dried up. It's has it. It's temporary. It doesn't have this. Um, it says it in here itself. But are like chaff in the wind. Chaff is just dried up. You could wrinkle it up. Boom, it's gone. Trees. They represent two different people. The tree represents this idea of a strong, sturdy man, a righteous man in God. It has its roots in the Bible, in God. It stays, if it reads, if the person reads their word, stays consistent, meditates day and night, like the past, like the past verse, second verse, said. Uh, you see how strong and sturdy this person can be. If the person chooses to sit with the counsel of the wicked, chooses to be with the mockers, sits scoffers. It would be like chaff blown away. I think I already used this. It will be gone. We see this idea of temporary satisfaction with when it comes to chaff. You see now I had brought something but I forgot it. The thing is the husk of the corn, it makes, uh, some people use it for tamales, tamales. Now, tamales are actually very tasty. Anyway, uh, thank goodness for football. See, I already ate this in the morning. Okay. Uh, 
I was very hungry. Um, anyway, the husk of the corn is used to make a tamale leaf. Um, and normally, it's like I said, it's dry. It can. I mean, I can't do it with this because like it doesn't fall apart right away. But, um, it's still temporary, no matter what. You still have this temporary satisfaction with this. And so it, the tamale is kind of like it. You enjoy it for breakfast, lunch, maybe dinner. Um, but it's still just a small, it, it's temporary. You buy, you buy one, you finish it, you're done with it. Buy another, it doesn't matter because it's temporary. Now I'm just using this, let's pretend this is chat. I don't want to throw it because it'll mess everything up. Um, but yeah, uh, we read on, and it says in verses 5 and 6, it says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So with this, you see how... Uh, like the effects of this. You see the effects of how in verse 5, the first part of it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The righteous, as I have, I think, explained a zillion times in just like, not even a couple minutes, um, <laughs> uh, is somebody who's sturdy like a tree, somebody who's strong in his faith, somebody who can stand for God. Not that God needs somebody to stand for him, but you know what I mean. It's somebody who God uses as a vessel and just uh, shows his work. Then you see the effects of those who are the wicked. You see how it says in the end, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, this idea of chaff. The chaff, roll it up, it's gone. Because it is temporary. It's not, it's so dried up, it doesn't have anything. It's going to perish because it's not in God. It's not, it's not rooted at all. It doesn't delight in God's law. It, it doesn't want to understand God's word. It's not strengthened. Over these, uh, over this month, um, uh, I just, I just been thankful for learning about this, um, this passage, seeing how uh, we can all work through this, and uh, it's just been a hard week, hard week, well, um, hard month or so, because the situation at home for me, my mom and dad aren't there, and at home it's just me and my little brother and our older brother so when I started reading this psalms I didn't understand it at all but little by little I stood firm in God I stayed planted in God and I bet everybody here has situations going on maybe job related school related or something like that 
And so I was just wondering, are we going to be a tree, a strong tree, stand firm, delight in God's law, meditating on it day and night? Or are we going to be like chaff? Are we going to be like the wicked, easily crumpled up, blown away? Heavenly Father, you're loving, you're caring, you're a judge. God, thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for everything that we do. We should just be for your glory, God. We're just vessels for you, God, to show those around us, those in this world, your holiness, your righteousness. Do whatever we do, we must give all the glory to you, God. Not our will, but your will be done. God, I just pray that when we go on today, that we we feel like we want to stand firm in your word, God, that we meditate on your word more more and more God just pray that we stay rooted in your word no matter what show up show this satisfaction in us God we love you and we thank you in your son's name Amen my name is Emmanuel Terrell remember me from last year I, I, I preached last year at the youth service um, I'm going to be Speaking from John 10 today, so if you would turn your Bibles to John 10. And while you're turning, I'm going to tell you a little story. So, the other day, I called my dad because I was in dire need of his guidance, as all us teenagers are. Um, And I called, and my little brother picked up the phone. Well, he's my younger brother. He's bigger than me. But he, um, he picked up the phone and said, Hello, Emmanuel. Obviously trying to impersonate my dad. And I was kind of disappointed because all this time we put into his acting career and he can't do a better impersonation. But I said, Israel, please get off the phone. I need to talk to dad. And he's like, this is dad. And I'm like, no, you're you're not dad, Israel. Get off the phone, please. And eventually he gives the phone to my dad and I talk to my dad. And I was like, why would Israel try to fool me? I know my dad's voice. I know dad's voice. Um, I know his voice. Because of so much time I've spent with him, you know, day one, he's been there since I was born, my dad. So, um, yeah, so he's been there since day one. I know his voice from his countless rants about what I'm doing wrong, what I'm doing right. Um, It's always yelling, but I know his voice. Um, And today, in, in John 10, Jesus goes on to talk about how his sheep know his voice. In verse 1 through 4, he says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So, how do we know our shepherd's voice? In the same way that I spend countless amount of hours with my dad, I have to spend a countless amount of hours with my God. 
And that and it's funny that Jesus uses shepherds. I mean, he, he does, does a lot in the Bible, but he uses shepherds in this in this illustration that they know his voice. And because Middle Eastern shepherds back then and even today still they have this. They're known for their devotion to their sheep. Um, although that's, you know the sheep are all they have. They're like they're like his they're his own. So he sings to them. He has specific calls to the sheep. So even if they're in a bigger herd of like bigger group of sheep, um, they know he knows which ones are his because they know his voice. They follow him because they know his voice. And we have to. They they know him because they spend so much time with their shepherd. And we have to spend time with God. He is our good shepherd. We are the sheep. Obviously, in this illustration. Um, and how do we spend time with God? Through prayer, worship, meditating on Him day and night, as Oscar said, and through His Word. His Word is probably the most important. Reading His Word is like, it's, it's the physical embodiment of His voice. It is, it is Him in, you know, it is his, they are his words, His voice. And not knowing His voice has some pretty bad consequences. In verse 5 and 6, He says, But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from Him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand. That's probably my favorite part. Uh, he, the Pharisees didn't understand. He's like, oh, typical Pharisees, you know. Um, but uh, he, he, they, don't know, they, they don't know a stranger's voice because they, they, know, they know their shepherd's voice, but they don't know a stranger's voice. They'll run away from him. But if you don't know your shepherd's voice, who are you going to run away from? Uh we have to know his voice so we know that what is God, what is God speaking to us and what isn't God. And, of course, the Pharisees didn't understand this. So he goes on to say, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says he's the gate in this illustration, um, in, in this part of the passage. He says he's the gate. And again, going back to these Middle Eastern shepherds, when the shepherd would lay, uh, take his sheep home or take his sheep down to sleep, they would go to the sides of cliffs where like they're protected. And there's two walls already, so they would build two other walls. One wall with like a threshold, so like a doorway. Right, like maybe like this big, three feet wide. Only sheep need to go through it, and the shepherd. And when they're finally going to sleep, the shepherd kind of sits right in the middle, and then he falls asleep. He sleeps with one eye open. That's where that saying comes from. Sleep with one eye open. He sleeps with one eye open so that the predators can't get to the sheep. Now, I find it interesting that God promises protection because He is the gate. He stands in the way of these predators so that when we are sleeping, we're protected. He promises salvation if you enter through him. When he says, they, when, uh, whoever enters through me might, will be saved. He promises life to the full. And life more abundantly. He then promises, in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He goes on to say this four times in the passage. I will lay down my life for my sheep. I will lay down my life for my sheep. And in the last one, he says, and then I will take it up again. But this promise that he's going to lay down his life for his sheep, he will put himself on the line for his sheep to protect them, to make sure that they are okay. 
And if he makes these promises, why don't we trust him? Why do we not trust his guidance? If he has led us to green pastures before and beside quiet waters, if he has given us life to the full and laid down his life, we should trust him. We should trust him like sheep do. Bow your heads. Lord, I, uh, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to just share you today, Lord. Lord, I thank you for um, making me a vessel for you, Lord. Lord, I know that uh, we're all lost sheep, Lord, and you've come looking for us, and we, you found us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would trust you like sheep do, that we would trust your guidance and your voice. We would get to know you more and get to know your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. Talking about John 15 and abiding in Jesus Christ. If you'll bow your heads in prayer with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for today, that the sun is shining, that we can gather together and worship you and learn more about you and discuss you and be with you in this place together, Lord, as a family, as a church family. Please bless the words that come from my mouth, Lord, that they may be yours and not my own. Please teach us today. In your name we pray. Amen. So, the Bible is full of tree analogies, and I'm going to take uh, a leaf out of God's Word to uh, plant one in my own sermon. So, I have a friend. He has a pine tree in his front yard. It's this massive pine tree, the one that goes like, hundreds of feet tall and has all the spiky branches, and it's this really massive thing. Every time I go to his house, I admire, like, that is a tree. And it was there when he bought the house, and... I assumed it would be there forever. And the other day he told me, you remember the windstorm we had a few weeks ago? The one that stopped the CTA trains? Well, that windstorm knocked over this pine tree. He has 33 feet of pine treetop in his driveway. And so I asked, well, how can this be? Like, it was such a massive thing. And he said, well, it was rotten on the inside. There was a hole all the way up the trunk where you could see the wood disintegrating and there were bugs all over the place. But isn't this a very apt analogy for our life in Christ? So often it's easy to look put together and healthy and strong on the outside, but on the inside we can be rotting away if we're not abiding in Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to John 15. uh, 1 through uh, 8. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So this passage, it sort of has two faces. It compares what it is to abide 
in Christ and then what it is not to abide in Christ. So I'm going to talk about uh, not abiding in Christ first, what that looks like. Um, the most powerful line here that Jesus speaks for me is, apart from me you can do nothing. And that really captures what it is to not abide in Jesus Christ. Um, he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Um, so often we try to try to work out our own salvation. Um, we assume, oh, if I add another habit to my to-do list, uh, I can make myself better. Or um, it's so easy to, to kind of fake a put-togetherness or hide from your own um, hurt by looking good on Sunday and coming every day and uh, seeming like you have it together, but on the inside it can be rotten. And all that is, it's, um, so many people try it and it never works. It's so empty. You need a life abiding in Christ. Without him we can do nothing. I think what we miss in the city a lot of the times is how much we depend on Christ and uh, physically for our very survival. I went to a scout camp in the Alps in France a few months ago, a few years ago, and that really drove it home for me. We were up in the mountains and we had to build our own furniture out of wood and we had to build a table and cover it with mud and put stones on it for a fire and get our own firewood and set up a tent and it was ridiculously fun. But I just realized, whoa, this is all coming from God's creation, which he gives to us. Like even the very air we're breathing in this room right now comes from God and is a gift to us and a manifestation of his glory. So everything, everything we do and everything we are comes from God and without him we cannot survive. We can also not survive spiritually without abiding in Christ. Um, Jesus is very blunt with um, saying that the branches that are dead, they, they take away from the health of the whole body. This is the basics of gardening. You have to take out the dead branches in order to prune the tree and make it healthy and uh, select branches that will produce more fruit. And this is the analogy he's using. Um, he says in verse 7, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That is a hard message. But the key there is, um, if anyone does not abide in me, he withers. Because to abide as a branch in a vine is to have life, and as source of life, the sap is what feeds the branch. And without the branch, then you wither and eventually turn to dust, and it's an empty life. And this is our reality. If we don't abide in Christ, we can do nothing on our own. We need him. So what does it look like to abide in Christ? This is the second phase of the passage. He says, Abide in me and I in you. It's such a simple statement. It's complex. A two-way street. So you put your, your faith and your home in Jesus and you make yourself a home for him too. It works both ways, like any relationship. Jesus wants to fill our whole lives, every part of it. When we're at work, when we're in the mountains in France, or even a family reunion, or at lo alone at home, all these situations... God is there. He also wants to fill the music we listen to, the TV we watch, and the books we read. Every aspect of our lives should be... We should go through every aspect of our lives with Christ right there inside of us. He wants to be a part of it all. And your mind is a home for Christ, so it's important to keep that home clean. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches, which 
with the gardening analogy, like your whole, your whole life comes from the, the one branch. He says, I'm the true vine, which is the vine that is at the base where the roots are. So it's, it feeds the entire body. All of our life, all of our sustenance, everything we have comes from him. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So the fruit we, which we are supposed to bear, um, the fruit that will be grown and continued and pruned in our walk with Christ, um, that comes from abiding in Jesus, knowing who he is. Uh, a life with Jesus is a continual process. He perfects us. Um, he says that every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So abiding in Jesus Christ does not mean that all the troubles disappear or the windstorms don't come up occasionally because um, those can be very beautiful moments where Christ teaches us to put more faith and trust in him and who he is. The trials are important for our growth and so that we can bear more fruit and become more ourselves in the way Jesus wants. Uh, Our family is going through an adoption process to adopt a boy from China and we feel very strongly this is God's will for us. but there are still roadblocks. Just the other day, there was uh, this whole thing where a letter was misspelled on some document in China, and we had to contact them, and it was a huge, dramatic mess. And sometimes I think, Lord, why? We know this is your will. Why is it so hard? But I think it's having a beautiful impact on our family, the whole adoption, and we're putting more faith in who he is, that he will guide us through the process, and that we'll get this boy. Abide. What, what does that word even mean? Um, abide in the older sense means to put uh, your home in. Abide is where you live. And what comes with a home? Security and safety and relationships and people in your family. All that uh, peace and stability that is in a home is what we get through abiding in Jesus Christ. The hardest part about my trip to France wasn't roughing it out back in the woods and getting your own firewood. It was that I felt so homesick, so alone. I didn't really speak French very well. And um, I was in a patrol with six other guys, and they were trying to communicate with me, and it was really difficult. And this peaked uh, one day, one evening. I was supposed to get firewood for the evening supper because we cooked our own meals. And I didn't, he, this fellow kept saying, Trouvez le bois, trouvez le bois, alors. And I didn't, I didn't understand. I was so confused. Uh, he spent five minutes trying to communicate that I had to go get firewood, and he was trying to mime it out like, so I stumbled off into the woods devastated trying to find these little sticks and I just started crying because I felt so alone and unable to connect to someone I was dying for an English conversation Um, but then I felt this moment where I thought wait God is here and I can speak to him in English and I'm home even in this completely foreign situation. It's uh, the most foreign situation I've ever been in, the most uncomfortable. But I was still at home because God is everywhere with you. He transcends national boundaries. He transcends the door of the workplace. He will always be there. So another aspect of this family nature is, uh, he says in the passage, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you abide in my love. So the same relationship, the same kinship that Jesus has with God the Father, he invites us into as children. It's an adoption process for all of us. Um, We are accepted into that family. And we have a family 
through abiding in Christ, which makes us have a family and everyone else, and our brothers and sisters in Christ, in this community, everyone around us. We are family here. So that is what it means to abide in Christ. What I want you to take away is uh, that without abiding in Christ and making him our home and filling him into every aspect of our life, we have nothing. We wither. We're just like the pine tree. We may look good on the outside, but on the inside we are rotten and we waste away. But with abiding in Christ, with a life in him, we have a home. We are perfected. We bear fruit. It still might hurt sometimes, but God is developing us and strengthening us as a member of his family. We are given a family which is so necessary for our survival as human beings. Um, I'll end with this. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you... With the encouragement of, oh, I hope that these youth are becoming rooted. That's a prayer, yes, and that's what we drive to do. That's what we want to do. We want them to know what they believe. We want them to know why they believe it. But we also want us to remember that in ourselves, what they're teaching us applies to us. But as we leave here, how can we abide in Christ on a daily basis? How can we see him and meet him and let him consume our lives? How are we being planted and how are, we being, how are our roots growing deep? I hope that this causes us to action, to walk alongside these youth in helping them, but also to do a heart check on our own see where we are at. Uh, just for a reminder, uh, we have that painting that you saw was being done, and it's both the verses of Psalm 1 and John 10 combined, uh, with a tree planted by the, the, the river, and also God is our shepherd. And as you leave here today, we have these little just reminders for you, just to be reminded of how are we going to become rooted on a daily basis. Keep this with you. Put it in your Bible. Hang it on your fridge as just a reminder so you can know that you can be in prayer, not just for the youth, but for our own, our own spiritual walks. I'm going to pray, and we will be dismissed. Dear and Father, Lord, I thank you so much for these youth. I thank you for so much how, how, a work that you're doing in their lives. Lord, I pray as they are singing and acting and behind the scenes and teaching, Lord, that they will believe what they are saying singing. I pray as we look upon them, Lord, that we will do a check in our own lives as we leave here today and we go through our, our weekly activities at work, that we will be consumed with you, that you will be our number one priority, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your son's name, amen. You are dismissed.